Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Good to have you all here this morning. I want to I want to start by uh, telling you a quick story, a true story about a uh, a plastic surgeon. This plastic surgeon uh, had a well would be patient husband um, had tried to save his family from a burning fire and his face got disfigured and his wife was very concerned about all of that and so they go to the doctor and and the doctor says well you know I can I can fix your face we can do some reconstructive surgery and I can fix it and he was of a mind that it was just it was his own personal punishment because he wasn't able to save his parents from the fire that he was going to have to stay disfigured his whole life. And they made a couple attempts, uh, a couple runs at it to, to have him have surgery, and he would decline every time. And then uh, finally his wife made an appointment, and she went by herself, and he says, well, what can I do to help you? She goes, I, this is a true story. She goes, I want you to disfigure my face so I look like my husband. Perhaps then he will know that I love him and let me into his life. And when I read that story, I thought to myself, how true is that of the gospel? That Jesus put on human, I mean, think of the creator of the universe, clothing himself with dirt, humanity, disfiguring himself, if you would, so that we would see him and then perhaps let us into his life because now we understand the pain. And so... It's with that as the backdrop for this Easter Day celebration that we say, God, you are so good to us, and we're so thankful for what you've done for us and how you take care of us. So, Father, we, we take this moment now just to quiet our hearts and our spirits to come before you in prayer and to thank you for your awesome goodness towards us, that you became like us to share in our pain, to share in our suffering. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day of celebration. And all God's people said, amen. We've got a number of scriptures for you today. We're going to start in uh, Philippians and uh, start at verse number five of chapter two. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself, now in light of the story I just read you, made himself what? Nothing. By taking on the very nature of a... But what was he? He's the king of the universe. But he decided to be a servant. Being made in human likeness, though he is the creator of the world. Verse 8. And being found in the appearance of man, what did he do? If anybody could be proud of what they'd done, it would be Jesus, but he humbled himself and became... Not the dictator, not the one in charge, not the man with the scepter, but he came obedient as a servant, even unto death, the death of the cross. So the point of what I want to share with you just for a few minutes this morning is Jesus' willingness to be humbled and to walk in humility. Now, we've just come through the Passion Week, that week leading up to the resurrection of Jesus, and on the evening of the Last Supper, when, when they finished, they went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is just about a, 
oh, a thousand feet from the east gate of Jerusalem, up a little mountaintop, up a hill, really, uh, the hill of uh, Gethsemane, which means the place of the olive press were squeezed. And so he was there, and while he was there, you know, Judas had betrayed him for the 30 pieces of silver, and then Jesus is praying, and now here comes the crowd, here comes Judas with the crowd. Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek to identify him as the one who is Jesus in that crowd late at night, and so the guards go to grab Jesus, and then there is, of course, Peter, who we, I, personally like Peter a lot. Uh, Peter was not a concealed carry. Peter was open carry, and he, and he pulled out a knife. He pulled out a, 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 a sakari, he pulled out a, a, a little sword, uh, and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. What a shot. I mean, what a slight... No, he wasn't aiming for his ear. Do you think he was actually aiming for his ear? No, I think he missed. I think he hit the ear. And so there's this commotion. Jesus picks up the ear. He reattaches it to uh, Malchus, the high priest uh, servant. And that's another whole story, another whole sermon for another time. But in, this, in the account of Matthew, at verse number 52, Peter, Jesus says to Peter, put back your sword. Jesus says to him, for all who draw, draw the sword will die by the sword. And this is so cool, talking about his humility in verse number 53. Jesus says, red letter, do you think that I could not call on my father and he would at once put at my disposal more than what? Twelve Legions, and that's a military term in Rome, which means 6,000 men. This would be 72,000 angels. That would be a crowd of angels. <laughs> Don't you think I could do that? This is Jesus, the creator of the universe, who had humbled himself, dressed himself in humanity. He says, listen, guys, I could do that if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. The humility is astounding. I don't know, uh, the last time you borrowed something, right? When you borrowed, yeah, you know, it's getting ready for, for uh, uh, Easter meal. You don't need a cup of sugar, so you go over to the neighbor. You don't have time. You, you, you go to the neighbor's house or, or whatever, especially a tool. My dad wasn't a big tool guy, so I always had to run over to, to Tracy Dixon's house and borrow a tool from Weldon. Couldn't call him Weldon. His name was Mr. As a kid, I couldn't call my neighbors by their first names. I had to call them Mr. Anybody else back in the day? So Mr. Dixon, I had to borrow it from him. But you had to borrow something. The reason, listen now, the reason you borrow something is because you don't have it. I know that's, that's, a, that's a giant step of logic. But you, you borrow it because you don't have it. Imagine Jesus borrowing a manger. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, he gave, she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Wait a second, Pastor, I thought this was an Easter message. Yeah, you wait. We're going to start at Christmas. I'm not going to preach the whole thing, so just relax. The ham won't burn. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, placed him in a what? Manger, because there was what? No room in the, in the inn. So that's like showing up to the house and they say, no, we don't have room. Let's bring it forward. Let's bring it forward 2,000 years. But there's this little lawnmower shack out back. That's where would he have gone? The lawnmower shack. You know, the one that's really smells like oil and gasoline on the inside. I mean, donkey dung and sheep dung, which was the fuel of the day, <laughs> right? Like gasoline and oil. This is, if you bring that story forward, that's where Jesus had to be born, was in the lawnmower shed out back. 
that reeked like gasoline. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For him, by him, all things, everybody say all things. things. You know, I'm not a big Greek scholar, though I do know Greek, and you look up the word all, it actually means all. (laughs) Not just half the stuff, but all, 100%. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authority, all things were created by him. So you design the house, you build the house, you pay for the house, and then you go to the front door and you go, excuse me, could I have a place to to sleep tonight? They go, no. Wait a second, I bought the house, I designed the house, I paid for the house. They said, nope, out back with the lawnmowers. That's the modern day equivalent. He designed the house, this place, paid for the house, bought the house, and yet was still sent to the lawnmower shed. So he borrowed a manger. Though he could have called down 12,000 angels, borrowed it. Secondly, he borrowed a donkey. Notice he didn't ride in the Pope mobile. Now, I'm not smashing the Pope, but you know, that's a Mercedes GL 500 chassis worth $586,000. I looked it up. You can fact check me. Not the Pope mobile, not a Lamborghini, not a Ferrari, but a donkey. Not exactly the Cadillac of transportation of the day. What he actually came into town on that day was kind of like an old beater pickup truck, rusted out a little bit. It ran, but it wasn't anything that was going to turn anybody's head. He borrowed a donkey. Just uh, the week before on Palm Sunday, in Matthew chapter 21, I'm not going to read the entire story of how the donkey came to be there in 21, but if we pick it up about um, verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and what he instructed them was, go find that donkey and bring it to me. So they brought the donkey and the coat, placed their cloaks on them. Jesus sat on them. Verse 8, a large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, cut the branches of trees. You know how the story goes. And they shouted, what? Hosanna. Save me. Save us. On a rented, on a borrowed donkey. A borrowed manger, a borrowed donkey, and a borrowed room. He owned the home, yet he had to borrow a room. In Matthew chapter 8, and by own the home, not literally in this, in this story. But if you remember, there were some disciples who wanted to follow Jesus. The teacher, uh, then the teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I want to follow you wherever you go. Verse 20 of Matthew 8, Jesus replied, okay, wait a second. You want to follow me? Praise the Lord. We're going to make you, you're going to have all kinds of titles. You're going to be impressed and, and impressive. You're, no, no, he says, listen, you're sure you want to follow me? Foxes, they sleep in holes. Birds have nests. I don't even own a home. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Are you sure you want to follow me? Didn't have anything. If you've ever tried to find a a hotel in a town that has a convention going on. Okay, so imagine Springfield. A convention is going on. I know it's been a couple years since COVID. Praise the Lord, we'll get some conventions back, right? But back in the day, a convention going on, and then all your family shows up. A lot of my family is here today. 
So let's say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call and make a reservation at one of the three places in Springfield to take reservations. You know, if I was going to open a restaurant in this town, I'd take reservations. I digress. So you're trying to make a reservation in this town for a party of 13. And you're doing it just a couple hours before dinner. You think you're going to find a table for 13 in the town that's overridden during a convention? No. What does that look like? Well, Jerusalem, listen, Jerusalem had a population of about 600,000, but during Passover, which is when all of this took place, this town swelled to 2 million people, according to Roman, uh, uh, what do you call it? Historians. 2 million. So I did the math. So with Springfield being about 117,000 people, this would be the equivalent. Now imagine Springfield, and the entire city of Peoria comes here. We're not done. And then all of Bloomington comes here. All of Decatur, Quincy, and Pekin, they all convene in Springfield. And now you're trying to find a place to have dinner for 13. That's what it was like during Passover in Jesus' day when he said to his disciples, hey, go into town and find us a place to have dinner tonight. I mean, if you were a disciple, you went, pardon me? Do you, can you see? There's 2 million people here, Jesus. We have 13 of us. We got to find a room big enough to put 13 of us in. He said, don't worry. And he gave them instructions. He said, go to town. You see a guy. He'll just lead you to this place. And, and you'll be able to have this dinner in an upper room. And that's how it unfolded in Luke chapter 27. In verse number nine, or Luke 22 rather. In uh, verse number nine of that chapter, it says, where do you want us to prepare for it? The disciples said to Jesus, okay, all right, we'll do this. They asked, and he says, okay, here, go into the city. You'll find a man carrying a jar of water. He'll meet you, follow him, and that house, and so on and so forth. I mean, and then that night, there they are, the 13, sitting around the table, reclining back. Jesus does what? After dinner, stands up, and he puts a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash the feet of all the disciples. Now, you're familiar with this story because of the, of, of the imagery that it brings, but have you ever contemplated the fact that sitting at that table was Judas? And that also, according to the scripture, Jesus already knew that Judas was going to betray him, yet Jesus still fed Judas and still washed his feet. Talk about humility. The son of God, clothed in dirt, in humanity, humbling himself, disfiguring himself as God, coming to this place so that we might begin to see how much he loves us and let him into our lives. A borrowed manger, a donkey, a borrowed room, and finally, a borrowed tomb. If you were here for yesterday's Good Friday service, man, we had a great time. And this scripture was read in Matthew 27, verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea town, and his man's name was Joseph. And he had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he said, hey, can I have Jesus' body? Pilate ordered to be given to him, verse 59. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean cloth, and did what? Placed it in his own, a borrowed tomb. Jesus didn't have a tomb. Jesus humbled himself, disfigured himself so that we could be saved, so that we could be, Greek word, sozoed. Why? To bring, so on that day that we die, we could go to the kingdom that he has prepared for us. That's only part of it. 
But do you know that his kingdom is here now? And you are part of that kingdom if you know him and love him. We, we pray thy kingdom and thy will be. So he did all of this, not for some thing in the future, but so that your life can be impacted and transformed here and now to be part of the kingdom of God here and now so that you see with eyes that the world cannot see. You see things on the news and, and in the natural you go, oh my gosh, you want to pull your hair out and you want to just, you just want to go off on somebody in the natural. You want to go, to be honest with you, you just want to go hurt somebody and, you know, slap them in the name of Jesus or something. Like, get a clue, man. Get a clue. But no, that's not how we see. We know that there are powers and principalities and we know that what is unseen is greater than the things that are seen for heaven and earth will pass away. He created all things visible and invisible, if you know your doctrines and your theology at all. Wait a second, Pastor. I thought I came here to hear a get, get rich quick message. Not how, to, not how to borrow a manger and borrow a donkey, borrow a room or a tomb. Okay, all right. So here is the hinge on which the door of this truth will swing for you today. Are you ready? And in it, if you embrace this truth, you'll have riches untold. Here it is. This is our text for the day. The only one you should really underline, I think. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the word of the Lord says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, comma, that through, though, rather, though he was rich, yet for our sake... He got disfigured. He went to the plastic surgeon of heaven and said, if I could just look like them, then they might let me into their life. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Hold up. Wait a minute. You mean this is a prosperity gospel? We're all going to be billionaires. Let me just stop you just for a second. <clears throat> that is the poorest, most ignorant, ignoramus type of theology, so sophomoric, silly, and very damaging theology that is in, even in parts of the church today. God wants to make you rich, He wants to make you wealthy. He wants to make you a millionaire. Can you imagine the size of the megachurch that we could have if that was the message that was preached from this pulpit every Sunday and what I gave you was a TED talk on how God wants to bless you? And when in fact, last I checked, God wants you to take up your cross. God wants you to be a servant. He wants to, you to lay your life down. Pastors, preachers, they're not pastors, preachers who represent that scripture like that need to be reminded of something, and it's very simple. Paul, the apostle Paul, Saul, converted to Christianity because he hated Christians and he killed Christians. Then he had a moment and he, he came to the understanding that Jesus was who he said he was. And so, poof, now he's Paul, and he's writing a lot of this New Testament. 
so he had no money. He'd been in prison seven times. He was driven into exile. He was on the run. He was stoned and left for dead in Acts 14, 19. And while in prison in Rome at the age of 59, he was brutally beheaded by Nero. That man said, you're going to be rich. That same man, I digress just a moment to Romans chapter 8, 28, where he said, he wrote in the prison in Rome, right before he's beheaded, having been stoned and shipwrecked and destitute, he wrote, all things work together for good. Who wrote that? Paul wrote that. So tell me that there's some preacher that's promising you you're going to be a billionaire, a millionaire, or God doesn't want you. God wants you to have a, listen, I don't, oh, I don't have a time. It's Easter. I only get you twice a year, some of you. So, so I, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Can we erase that from the tape? Is that even possible? I don't know. So wait, wait. <laughs> Let me just say, God doesn't care how much money you have in your wallet, in your bank account. He just doesn't want it in your heart. I say it again. He doesn't care how much money you have in your wallet. He just doesn't want it in your heart. Can't control you. Because you have one master, his name is Jesus. Amen. All right, I digress. So you want to be rich and you want to get rich quick. Okay, here's, here, here you go. Listen up then. Matthew 6. Then don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed. So on this day, this celebration of resurrection, the day we celebrate is life. His humility, voluntarily being disfigured so that we might look at him and go, oh yeah, he can understand me now. He became like us, yet he never sinned. Okay, all right. So you're sitting there and you're going, so what? In fact, I had a, I had a, uh, I had a professor in school. I had, it was actually my, I think it was my homiletics professor, which is preaching, he said, Eric, whenever you preach a message, you need to preach it to the guy that's sitting there with his arms folded, that after you say something amazing, he goes, yeah, so what? Right? Because the choir is like, yeah, that's right, pastor, you preach it, take up the cross. And there's somebody going, wait a second, what? That's crazy talk. So what does all this mean for the one who's got his arms folded? Well, here's the attitude that you should have. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. I read it earlier. This is text we started with. The Lord says that your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, that's the secret. What's the secret? It's having an attitude adjustment, to have an attitude like Christ. And when you begin to say, you know what, what would Christ's attitude be in this moment? And you know what, I have to have attitude adjustments. Listen, I've served the Lord for a long time. Some of you have too. I gotta have attitude adjustments like multiple times a day. I'm just being transparent. Somebody says something, somebody does something, particularly Driving, I just got to say, driving is the worst thing for me. It's like, get the f- over. Get over, slow person. Get over. Or don't you own a directional. 
my fav- five most favorite words. Put them on the dash of my car. Don't you own a, dev- a directional? Like a blinker. Turn your blinker on. Okay, Eric, just relax. You know. Like another red light? Is the mayor here today? Can we synchronize those things? Finally, after 30 years of living in this town, can we just synchronize a few of those red lights? Right? And I'm sitting there, I'm getting, I'm getting, I don't know about you, but I get like this inside of me a little bit. And you kind of twist the steering wheel in your hands just a little bit. I don't know. Maybe that's not you. Maybe it's when the kids say mom for the 3,000th time and you have to go to the bathroom to find peace and quiet. You lock the door. Say, Lord, help me not to beat them. (laughs) What are those? Those are attitude adjustments that when you take on that nature of Jesus on your life, then you know what? You go, okay, all right. Okay, like during our communion time this morning, breathing in and breathing out uh, the words of Christ, just powerful stuff. So 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that though through his poverty you might become rich. Rich in money? Possibly. Possibly. But some people just have more money than other people. Some people are just better looking than other people. Some people are just smarter than other people. I know you think you're the smartest one in the room. Newsflash, you just might not be. (laughs) There is a smartest person in this room. Guarantee it's not me. But there are, some people are just naturally smart. I mean, it's smart. God gave, you know, they're passing out genius and they got like an extra dose of that or something. Like, how did that guy get so smart? How is she so good looking? How is he so handsome? How come they're so, they're so wealthy? How come? I don't know. But what you should have is the attitude of Christ towards all that stuff. Consider who you are and what you are. You're, he loved you so much he died for you, not just pretty wealthy people. Well, pretty wealthy people, he died for pretty wealthy people. I mean, pretty comma wealthy and pretty wealthy <laughs> people. But he died for, he died for the guy he died for the guy standing in front of Walmart Come on. who holds a sign yesterday that says, life sucks. God died for him. He paid the same price for him that he paid for you, fancy pants. Well to do. So rich in what? We'll close with this. Write these down. If you do that, if you, if you clothe yourself with the attitude of Christ, and it's not, I'm saying it, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you, it's not easy. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, it becomes much more easy. Because if you, I'll be honest with you, you try to do it in your own strength, you'll last for a little bit, you know. But when you say, I need some help, then the Holy Spirit comes along because his name is the helper, the comforter, the paraclete, the one called up alongside of you to help you. So when you call on the Holy Spirit, I need some help, man, because I got a really bad attitude about life, about my finances, about my health, about my marriage, about my kids. Hold up. I'm about to tell you how you can get rich. Change your attitude, have an attitude adjustment, and here's how you're going to, here's what, here's what wealthy looks like in the kingdom of God. Number one, you'll be rich in joy. 
The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then there's a verse, if you're really charismatic, Pentecostal, at the end of it, we would go, ha, 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 Anybody? Anybody? Raise your hand if you had heard that. I know, you're weird. You're really weird. Particularly if you sang it. Particularly if you sang it. Ha, 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 ha. Listen, the joy I'm talking about is not ha, 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 ha joy. The joy I'm talking about is the joy that Paul had in a prison, in Rome, chained to the floor, back whipped open, probably bugs crawling through his sores, poor, in a dark, dank place, about to be beheaded by Nero, and he's singing songs and hymns and praising the Lord. How is that possible? I'm not talking about you'll be rich in happiness, because guess what? Into each life, rain must fall. And it will rain on the just and the unjust. So I'm not here to tickle you or your ears and make you happy. Listen, I appreciate the fact that there is happiness for us, that there are great, and the joy that comes from those things is wonderful. But if you don't have a deep-seated joy in your life, then every time somebody cuts you off, every time somebody flips you off, every time the kids go nuts or the bank call or whatever, you're going to lose your happiness because you don't have joy. You can still have joy. Rich in joy. Secondly, you become rich in hope. See, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy, that's the joy we just talked about, and peace as you trust in him so that you may, what? Overflow. What does that sound like? Overflow. That sounds like being prosperous in that. Sounds like being rich in that. So you can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Rich in joy rich in hope, rich in peace. Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You ever read that slow enough to understand what that means? To transcend means to go over and above whatever you can imagine. I mean, it transcends. It, it's, it, it's, you can't grasp it because the thought is so huge and above you. So it is the peace of God that transcends human understanding. It's Stephen in Acts, being stoned to death for confessing Christ and, and, and just taking it. He has a peace that transcends human understanding. In short, to define having a peace is this, to have, to have an internal persuasion of your eternal destination. To have an internal persuasion of your, I'm persuaded, I'm totally committed to this. Just Christianity isn't just, you know, you know, I'm involved. I go to church. I'm involved. I'm involved. No, you're committed to the cross of Christ. There's a difference between just being involved and being committed. And you discovered that this morning at breakfast. Because the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. <laughs> you lay your life down. Some of you will get that later. You have to tell somebody what that actually means later. <laughs> you're committed. I have an internal persuasion that no matter what my circumstance might be, I am convinced of my eternal destination. So neither death nor life, anything you could do to me, you must say, be able to say, is not going to dissuade me from putting my faith and my hope in Jesus. That level of peace makes you dangerous to the status quo, to the world today. 
Because if you, if, if you can be per- dissuaded from your faith, this, this, this environment today absolutely gives you the opportunity. Society today absolutely gives you more than enough opportunity to, to, to veer away from the call of God on your life. To get lost in all kinds of craziness. Like just trying to figure out what sex you are. I feel like a girl today. Come here, let me help you figure that out. We'll draw some blood one way or the other. And we'll be X, X, or X, Y. Okay, we got to get back to that. I want to. Pastor, get back to your notes. We want to get home. Okay, we're just about done. So that's rich in what? Peace? Here's the last one. I like this one. Rich in love. Here's how we end. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. May the Lord make your love, what? Increase and. How many want a bank account that increases and overflows. If you had a bank account that increased every day and eventually overflowed, we'd call you what? Rich. That you be rich in love, overflow, increase and overflow for for, for who? For each other and for, oh boy, not everyone else. That's kind of a tough one, right? (laughs) Just as ours does for you. You're a rich person if you abound in joy, hope, peace, and love. What do you need? Well, I need a little of this. I need another. No. Here's what David said in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire more than you. When you get to that point, you're going to understand what Easter is all about. Jesus came. He went to the plastic surgeon of heaven and said, I want to look like them so that they can understand me so that, that they will understand that I love them and then maybe they'll let me into their life. That's what he did for you and me. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace. What's grace? Grace are gifts you don't deserve. Right, you understand the difference. You do some, your child does something wrong. I did this for Hannah when she was a baby, a baby, a young child to help her understand. She did something wrong. I said, go to your room. I'm going to be there in a minute. Oh, you never wanted to hear that. She went to her room, went in. She, I said, this is what happened. You did that wrong. Yes, I did. I said, well, you deserve to be punished. Well, here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to punish you. You know what that is? There is, you can tell the president, I'll call him back later. I'm doing something very important right now because you got to understand what the gospel is all about. Rich in love and mercy. I said, Hannah, I'm not going to punish you. That's mercy. That's where there's confess. <sighs> okay, give me 30 seconds. Who give me 30 seconds? Yes. Two minutes, five minutes, seven minutes. It's an old joke. It's an old, old joke. This world today, this is, just a, this is a rabbit trail just for a second. This world today wants mercy without having judgment. You can't have mercy. Judgment predicates mercy. You can't, I can't show you mercy until we realize you screwed up, till you did something wrong. 
And when you say, yes, I did do something wrong, now I can offer mercy. But the world today doesn't even realize how messed up they are in some regard. And mercy, mercy, mercy. All right. So mercy is I'm not going to punish you. And here's $20. What is that? That's grace. That's a gift you don't deserve. You actually deserve to be punished. So the difference between grace and mercy, mercy says, I will not punish you. That's when the guy gets convicted in court. He's got convicted, right? Because conviction predicates mercy. What do they do? I fall on the mercy of the court. On the, oh, mercy, mercy from the court. In other words, don't punish me. Don't punish me. Can you imagine? So he's convicted. He asks for mercy. And then the judge gives him, instead of puts him on, he says, here's a million dollars. That's how weird this is. That God opposes the proud, but he gives gifts. He gives grace. He gives things you don't deserve. Awesome, wonderful things. He's going to lavish you. with, Even though you deserve to be punished. When you say, I'm guilty. Yes, I'm a liar. Yes, I, yes, I hate people. Yes, I steal. Yes, I, yes I, I did this bad thing. I did that bad. It's horrible. Forgive me. So what is that? That's a confession. That's an understanding that I've wronged the creator of the universe, and then God says, okay, mercy then for you. Mercy. Not only that, because you were honest, you came, you came here's good gifts. I'm going to make you rich in love. I'm going to make you rich in hope. I'm going to make you rich in peace. You're going to have such an internal persuasion of your eternal destination that no matter what anybody says to you, it doesn't even affect you. You're going to be like rubber and their glue and it's going to bounce off them and stick on you or however that works. I don't remember how that works as a kid. But it, what people say about you is not even going to matter. You know why? Because I am the one that gives you approval. I am the one that validates you. I am the one who saved you. I am the one that left heaven to look like you so that you would understand how deeply I love you. People can get insulted, and rightfully so at sometimes, I guess, but you know, here's a really, if somebody came up to you and they were just being, you were saying something and you, they didn't think you knew what you were saying, and, and do, you, do you even know the ABCs? I mean, what a stupid question, right? Of course, we all know the ABCs. I mean, you could be insulted if I ask you, do you know the ABCs? Or I could say, do you actually apply the ABCs? What do you mean apply the ABCs? I'm not talking about reading and writing. I'm talking about is your life as a Christian. It's this simple. A, this Easter, you've got to understand this. You must admit that you're a sinner. What is that? That's the condition on mercy. You want mercy? Who doesn't want mercy? I need mercy. It's contingent. The, the predicate for that is admitting that you did something wrong, that you messed up. And, and we could list all the things that people think sins are, but at the end of the day, they're things that breaks his heart. He said, oh, I've kept all the commandments. No, you haven't really. Now you're a liar on top of it. You didn't keep them all. Well, I'm trying. I kept most of them. Doesn't matter because you break one, you break them all. So you admit, I'm a sinner. I am messed up. The old hymn writers used to say, you're a wretch or you're a worm. Some hymnals have written that right out in the new, let's all be whatever. So A, do you know your ABCs? Sure, ABC. But do you apply them? Here's how Easter is going to change your life. Number one, you admit you're a sinner. Number two, then you believe. Well, it's so hard for me to believe, pastor. It's so hard for me to believe. 
You believed when you got up this morning and you go into that light switch that you flipped that switch and the light would turn on. You believed that. Has there ever been a time in your life that you flipped the switch and it didn't turn on? Yeah. Has there been a time that I prayed for something, for God to do something, and I flipped the switch and it didn't work? Yes. You know why? Because God is God and I am not. His ways are higher than my ways. And, I, he, and if I love him and I'm called according to his purpose and plan, then Romans 8, 28, everything's going to work out for good. Even if Nero cuts my head off, it's all good because I have an internal persuasion of my eternal destination. So, so all I'm commanded to do is just believe. You believed when you put your key in the car and you turned it on, it would start this morning. You believed that when you, the light turned green and you drove through that everybody that had a red light would stop. Doesn't happen always like that, does it? Your car doesn't always turn on, the light doesn't always happen. But guess what? God is God and you are not. Let me just, let me just give you the very first, the 10 minutes, first 10 minutes of my very first theology class, I was ravenous. I want to know everything about God. I got to my first theology. Theology 101, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I sit down in that class. I'm in the front row. I'm a front rower, by the way. I sit in the front row. I got my books and I'm ready. And, and uh, Professor Bill Crew was his name. Back in the day, we had chalkboards. For millennials, that's kind of like a whiteboard, but not really. <laughs> so you had a chalkboard, had a chalkboard. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, God is God and you are not. He underlined it. He said, that's the lesson for today. Go home and think about it. I'm supposed to be here for 90 minutes. That's all you're going to give me? Here I am 35 years later, and I'm still quoting it because it is a pillar in my life. When things don't go the way I think they should go, I say, you know what? I'm going to believe him any way. Because why? Because I'm called a believer, not an understander. If I was called an understander, I'd demand answers. But I'm not an understander. I just have to be a believer. Admit I'm a sinner and then believe. Okay, I believe. Then what do you have to do? Confess. You have to say that. I confess I'm a sinner and I confess I believe. It's pretty simple. What happens? Do angels appear and and do trumpets begin to sound? No. You're still overweight. You're still not that good looking. You still live in that trailer. Your car's still busted, but now you have an internal persuasion. You know, it can come and go. It can, it can ebb and flow. There are days I feel, I'm just going to be honest with you, there are days I feel more saved than other days. But for every mountaintop, ladies, a mountaintop experience, I love mountaintop experiences, but think for a second, for every mountaintop, there's two valleys. So what Oswald Chambers says in his devotional morning and evening, one of, such a deep devotional. He says this, he goes, mountaintop experiences are for the power to descend. Into what? Every day, mundane, Monday morning, tomorrow morning, get up and hit the grind again. And when the person cuts you off, yeah, you may not have the most redeemed response, but there is somebody inside. There's now the spirit of God is alive within you. You say, listen, that's just not, you know, that's not the right attitude. Okay. What do I do? I admit I screwed up. Because you can't have mercy until you admit you screwed up. Right? This is what you want from your children. Did you break that? No, I didn't break it. You're my only child. You're the only one else in this house. What do you mean you didn't break it? I didn't break it. <laughs> That's why Hannah was an only child. She never got away with anything. Right? All you want your child to say, yes, I did. 
And to the extent that there's contrition, gosh, I'm so sorry I did that. I'm so sorry. Okay, mercy. I'm glad you told me. In fact, it's even better you come and tell me than I search you out. Huh? Mom? Mom? Dad? Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. You better come tell me before I find out. This is how we are children of God. So I messed up. Oh, man. Okay, Lord, I'm, and he already knows, because your parent already knows. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm so sorry, I messed up. Okay, can you confess it? All right, all right. And now, you are now in, in line. You're a candidate for mercy, and then, of course, grace. That's what God does for us. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. It's what we celebrate every Sunday. It's what I celebrate every day when the sun comes up. Do I do it well every day? No. But you know what? I have an internal persuasion of my eternal destination. And I don't care what anybody else has to say about me. And you should not care about what anybody else has to say with you. The only person you're looking for an affirming word for is your heavenly father. He says, I loved you so much. I left heaven, disfigured myself to come down so you could see how much I loved you in hopes that you might put your hope and your faith in me. And then he kicked death in the teeth. So you know what? Even death cannot hold me. And he arose on the third day. And he ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. To this day, and he is coming again. Not as a baby in a manger. He's coming to judge. Both the living and only God can judge me. True, and he will. And it's not whether you did more good things or bad things. It only has to do with your ABCs. Do you know your ABCs? Admit you're a sinner. Believe and confess. Right? He is risen. Amen. <laughs> Stand with me. Lord Jesus, on this beautiful day you've given us, we are filled with joy. And there's people in this room this morning, Father, perhaps even watching online or by television. They're staring death right in the face. They've got a bad prognosis. They've got, they've had some bad news. They're staring death right in the face. I'm telling you, you can still have joy. Hope? You've got chronic pain. And pastor, you're talking to me about hope? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. He loves you. He is not letting you twist in the wind. He has a plan for you. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard sometimes. But think how much harder it would be if he wasn't in your life. Peace in the midst of the storm. The tempest is rolling. The waves are battering your ship. And there is peace for you. And then love. Love even for your enemies. Overflowing. Would you look up here just for a second? I want to, I want to give you one final verse. It's Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19 says this. My God shall supply all of your needs. How? According to his riches. Not my riches. You do not want to depend on my riches. But his riches. He'll never let you down. Even when the light switch doesn't turn on when you think it should. Even when the car doesn't turn over when you think it should. Even when that person died. Even when you think they shouldn't. Even when the bank called, even when the lawyer called, I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who holds the key to all the answers. And in him, you'll never walk alone. He'll always be with you. His rod and his staff will comfort you, and he'll supply all of your needs, everything you need in life. 
So Father, right now we bow our heads and we say yes to your way, yes to your word. We admit we have screwed up. We believe that you are the son of God, that you rose from the dead, and we confess all of that, that you are the son of God. And now we ask for your mercy, that you would save us and give us a brand new start. Whatever that looks like, God, be in our life today, tomorrow, and the next until you return. And if that's your prayer with me this morning, just raise your hand with me. Father, here we are, confessing, admitting, believing. Nobody needs to be looking around. It's just, just, just a, an agreement between you and the Lord. You're saying, here I am. In school, when you raised your hand, it was one of two reasons. Either you had a question or you had an answer. If you got questions, it's okay. Keep your hand up. If you know he's the answer, it's okay. Keep your hand up. He's with you. Father, thank you for this Easter day, this day of resurrection. We thank you and we celebrate all you promised us, that you are alive, that, that death and the grave could not hold you. And so for that, we are eternally grateful. And so may the peace of God that passes human understanding guard your heart, guard your mind, and keep you in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So be it. And amen. Happy Easter. Happy resurrection. Go celebrate with friends and family. God bless you. Have a great day. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.